Reading from Exodus, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. In a reading from John 8, 56 through 59. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, this morning we are going right at the heart of our Christian faith as we think about what I'm calling the true identity of Jesus, according to Jesus. Uh, When you read through the Gospel of John, which we will be looking at for the rest of the summer, you'll find that there are seven times that Jesus personally says, I am, and then fills in the blank. And I'll tell you what happens. When he fills in the blank, what he does is he addresses the biggest questions that human beings who stop and think that we ask, and he actually fills those deepest places in our lives that need to be filled. So that's what we're going to be doing. So with that in mind, You might be surprised that I'm going to be spending most of my uh, time on this first message thinking about uh, a different man. Uh, He's a person that there may be a few of us who have come to church who can relate to, even though he lived a a long time ago in a place far, far away. Um, Because he was a man who grew up in a pretty powerful home. Some here have, not all, but some have. Prestigious uh, place. He received the very best education possible. He's a graduate of the Caltech of the Middle East, I guess, or I guess for Jeff Leo, I would say the Claremont schools. Um, Interestingly, as sometimes, not always, but sometimes happens in that setting, he had grown up to have quite a sense of, of justice, just hated injustice. And even though he was a person of power, he didn't seem to be able to change things. And one day he saw one of his own people being uh, abused, and he said, enough of this, took justice into his own hands, and he killed the man, Um, an act that sent him out of his home, out of his country, and for 40 years into the desert of Midian. I I want you to think about living. I put a picture up here of what the desert of Midian looks like now. I don't know if it looked like then, uh, back then, but like now. How would you like living there for 40 years? Do you think any great things are going to happen through your life? Uh, by the time we, we, we meet him, so he's lived there a long time. He'd gotten married. 
He was living with his in-laws. Uh, he was working in his father-in-law's business. I can just imagine that he had all these dreams of the great things he would do as a young man growing up in the Pharaoh's home because we are talking about Moses. But I think all those dreams, all those dreams were gone after those 40 years. And also, interestingly, the day that we meet him, we meet him as he is in a place called Horeb, which I'm telling you is a horrible place. I know it's a bad pun. I, I know that. But the, the word Horeb means desolate waste. How would you like to live in a place? I come from desolate waste, California. <laughs> you just got to know that you don't expect anything to happen. So it was in an unexpected place in an unexpected time that something did happen and it changed his life. Some of you know the story well. Others knew the church may not. So he was there and he saw off, off in the distance this bush. I don't know that there were that many bushes there anyway. But this one was burning and it wasn't being consumed. He decided to make a change from what he usually does. He went over there to see what had happened. And he met someone because the bush spoke to him. That's amazing. A bush that speaks and it knew his name. I, I call, it's in Exodus 3. It's a great chapter. Um, I call it Moses Meet God. It, it's it's a, a report of a real event. It, it is a real event that has been so important among God's people that whether you are of, of uh, Moses' heritage, you know, Jewish, or you've, you've become Christians, it has become a major part of our lives. Artists throughout history have tried to depict it. Uh, I just picked out one or two of my very favorites. One of them is uh, Domenico Fetti's 17th century painting which he tried to help just capture what it might have been like on that day when Moses had to take off his sandals to meet God. Also, if you go and visit uh, churches around the world, you'll see sometimes stained glass windows, and, and they'll often depict this particular event. And I picked out one that's at Notre Dame just so that you can see that as well. And that raises this question for us. Why is this so important? Th this event that happened in Exodus chapter 3, and I'll just tell you this, it's because for any of us who stop as human beings long enough, it speaks to the most important questions of our lives. Like what? I mean, is there really a God? And if there, are, if there is, what is he really like? And especially this one, if I meet God, what happens to me? So let's think about this with Moses. He knew something about God. You know the story, don't you? He, he, he was brought up in Pharaoh's home by Pharaoh's daughter, but he, he had the chance to be in his, his mother's home, so he'd learned about Jehovah God, some things. So he knew about God. Maybe he even believed in God, but he did not know God. So already I think he's like so many of us who go to church. The, the, also, even though he may have believed in, in God, he thought, well, if, if I believe in God, he, he's done with me out there in that place. But what he began to see when God broke into his life, that the thing that God was going to ask him to do, he had been well prepared for. He was going to have to go to Pharaoh's own place there. He knew the language. He knew the life there. And the thing I just want to say to you immediately as we begin this message is that uh, if there are things happening in your life that seem to make no sense to you, they make sense to God. You just have to sort of wait for him to break in and let you know what's there. So he was prepared. But then even as he heard what God wanted him to do, 
to go from the desolate waste into the royal halls of the Pharaoh? He had a pretty good question, and it's there in chapter 3, verse 14 of Exodus. He said to God, okay, if I do this, if I go to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Uh, which means, what is he really like? Because I'm sure they believed in him too, but really didn't know him. He said, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. What does that mean? When you go to prayer in God and you say, who are you? And you get back, I am who I am. This summer, what I want you to see is when you meet God this way, it changes every part of your life. It changed Moses's, And so the, the meeting of Jesus, who will identify himself as the I am, is not just something that we sort of meet and go to church and punch the clock on Sunday and then go out. It should change and fill every part of our lives. So here's where I'm going to start today. I, I want us to think about this meeting with God that Moses had and whether it talks to us about some fresh meetings with God that we might have. So I'm going to take what happened to him. But you know, I, I've been walking with God a long time myself. I'm going to take some of my own life. I'm going to take many of my conversations with you and put them together to try to think about this, a meeting with God that I hope will continue to change our lives. So the first thing I jotted down is this. When you meet God, I mean really meet God, it's almost always due to a disruptive event. I don't know if you ever read business literature or leadership literature now. A lot of people are talking about the necessity of disruption for businesses to change. You just keep on doing the things the way you've always done them. They usually grow stale and stagnant. We need some disruption. I'll tell you what is true for business is true in our individual lives. And that's what happens to God. So here he goes. He sees a burning bush. He could have just left it and gotten back home. My wife's waiting for me. But he said, I will turn aside. And his word is sur in Hebrew. And see this strange sight. Now the thing I want you to see is that Moses didn't go out that day and say, you know, I think I'm going to change things today. I think I'm going to go searching for God. No, no, no. It's, it's something that God was searching for him. And the word that he used is a very powerful word in Hebrew, sur. It's in verses 3 and 4 in Exodus 3. And it means to do this, to abandon intentionally what you usually do. Yes, sur, to turn aside. It's that, you know, you're sort of living your life the way you do every day, and something happens that changes what you do, the way you think, and in many ways, even who you are. You know how we are. Oh, we get into our daily routines. <laughs> Life gets to be busy. Uh, and we don't really take time to want to think, okay, should I experience more of God today? Or else we just don't want to. It's almost always God who takes the initiative and breaks into our lives and shakes us up. And that's what happened. So Moses was going about his ordinary agricultural job in a desolate place, and God breaks in. He saw a burning bush that wasn't burning, it wasn't burning up, and he turns aside. I just want you to know, I think this sort of a, I call it a burning bush moment. A burning bush moment is almost always the beginning of our walk with God and a deepening of our walk with God. 
Uh, you know, someday you might get fed up and say, hey, I'm fed up with what I'm doing. There's got to be more to live for than I'm living for now. And you start thinking about the big questions of life. And then a friend comes by and says, hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee with me? Sure, off you go. And you have no bit more big questions. You're talking about the Dodgers or about something else. See, ordinary life just kind of forces us back into our usual paths, ordinary lives. So what is a burning bush moment? And I think I've written it for you here. It's something that disrupts the ordinary ways you look at the world. Burning bush moment is the way that disrupts your regular way of living your life. And many of you have had these, and maybe some of you are having them now. I'll tell you a story of one person at our church, Dr. Steve Cunningham. I think he's on a cruise somewhere now. I shouldn't tell you that, but I just did. Uh, Steve is, as you know, a scientist, scientist, scientist. He's written many articles. He had grown up as he gives his testimony, which he's given here to us uh, at times before, he had grown up with his education essentially telling him that the miracles cannot happen. He, he believed in a naturalistic world, a materialistic world, where God doesn't break into this world. And that's what he really believed. Till one day his brother invited him to a church service and he saw a miracle. He saw a woman that he knew was really, really sick, healed. He tried to explain it away. He couldn't explain it away. And he began to think what we should always think when something like that happens. My worldview isn't big enough to embrace what I see is real in this world. It, and he began to search for God, and God broke into his life. And, and the amazing thing is a person like Steve Cunningham now heads up the prayer ministries for Lake Avenue Church. Talk about a turnaround uh, of a life. Um, so we usually just don't get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm 30 years old today, or I'm 60 years old today, or I'm not, I, better, I better look for God. No, God does something to sort of say, I know you, and I'm ready to meet you. So what are those burning bush moments? That, that's where I've stopped to think about us. Sometimes it will be miraculous moments like Moses experienced or like Steve experienced, but even then we've got to turn aside and to see if there's something more here. But there are other things that I've seen have changed our lives. I've jotted down just a few. I had so many, but just a few. One is you meet a person who's different. You meet a person who is different. Because isn't it true, sometimes God brings somebody into our lives and we some, see something good there, something that we haven't really seen in others, we've longed to see, we don't see it in ourselves. Um, Jeff and Lisa are going to be working with university students, have been for a while. I also have, as you know. And of the many testimonies I've heard of people who have come to Christ either through their high school years or their college years, I think the testimony I've heard most often is this. I met someone. I met someone who's different, and I thought, I've got to find out what makes the difference. I, I remember a young woman, I was speaking at Princeton University, and afterwards a young woman came up and spoke to me, and, and it was obvious to me that she had a passionate love for Jesus. I said, how did this happen? Because she told me her other, the rest of her family, they weren't believers. And she said, well, it happened because I grew up and I just was always so perfectionistic. I, I couldn't please myself. I couldn't please my family. I couldn't please anyone. And I met this teacher who was very demanding and yet at the same time seemed to be so forgiving. She entered into my life. She said, I'm not going to give up on you. You've got to get that paper in and gave me time to do it. I thought, this is not the way that I've met people before. And I went up to her and waited after class. And I asked, what makes the difference in your life? And she said, well, it's because I follow Jesus. And the, the girl said to her, she said, well, that can't be. When I thought about church people, they're always self-righteous and negative toward everybody. She said, well, maybe they aren't real Christians. 
because I'll tell you, when I met Jesus, he was willing to forgive my sins and give me a second chance. And now I found out he gives me a third and and a fourth and a fifth. And if he does that for me, I want to do that for my students as well. I I want to reflect his ways to you. Uh, This young lady said it just ate at her for so long until finally she started seeking God and found him in meeting Jesus. It was a person, a disruptive moment. Someone whose life shows you something that is more than you have experienced. Okay, what else? Sometimes you have questions that just haunt you. I mean, sometimes there are questions when we human beings think about them that the, that the things we've learned before just don't seem to answer them. So, Min Shigematsu, she was in the first service. I, didn't, I shocked her when I used her, I think. Min has also given her testimony here. Uh, she's, uh, she, together with Cheryl Ha, uh, do the Chinese translations for my messages that you can pick up back at the table. Uh, Min grew up in China uh, in an atheistic home, an atheistic setting, and yet she was always haunted by what I always call the causation question. Who started all of this? And apparently she would ask this question ever since she was just a really little girl. She would go to her mother and she would say, I know I came out of you and you came out of grandma and she came out of her mom and on and on. But who started all of this? And her mom would say, well, I, I don't know what to ask. Just go over and have lunch. Um, but but she, answered, she had the questions deep in her heart all of these years, asking it all the way up and, as her education went on until someone came and brought her a book. That book was the Bible. And as she read it, you know how the Bible begins, don't you? In the beginning, God created. There is an uncaused cause who has caused everything. She began reading it all the way through until she came to Jesus. And if any of you know, you have a full, fully committed follower of Jesus in her. There's a disruptive question, a haunting question that the answers that are generally given in our world simply don't answer. What other burning bushes? I'll tell you, this is a big one for me in my own walk with God. Realities that happen that you just can't control. I mean, in a church like ours, you know, so many times we think we can control things. We can make our businesses go. I can finish school. I can, I can get this thing done. We become pretty self-sufficient, right? And not all of this, but some of it. I mean, we're, we're, we're afflicted with this. <laughs> I can do it until some things happen that just break in and disrupt all that and we begin to say, this is out of my control. What do I do now? We're just doing fine with our finances, then we lose our jobs. Uh, We seem to be doing fine with our relationships and there's a girl that you really like and then you get this letter, dear John, uh, (laughs) I'm gonna break this thing off and I'm gonna marry your best friend. Ah, (laughs) you know, it's those kinds of things or especially something like this. You go to the doctor. And he says, you have cancer. Things that happen outside of your control. And it's in those times, even though those are hard times, aren't they? Those are hard times. I'm not pretending they aren't. They are some of the greatest opportunities you will ever have in your life if you are in one of those moments now. It is this opportunity to stop and turn aside. It's a burning bush moment and say, God, is there something you're wanting to say to me? Is there something more for me that you would have me to do or something more of you you would have me experience? There there was one other one, uh, a burning bush moment that I wanted to tell you about. And that is sometimes you experience in your life an emptiness that just seems to be unfillable. 
I mean, have you ever had a time in your life that you just feel inside, there's something more I've been made for than I've found? You dream of having a success in some area, and then you find that, you get that success, you get it, and then you have it, and you say, this is it? Uh, I'll tell you, I'll have to bring my own life into this. Some of us who've just gone to school way too long, we keep thinking when I finish this phase of my education, it's, it's all going to come together. And so you keep finishing one, and you say, well, there must be more. I better get going. And then we get to the end of the PhD. And I'll tell you, you get that thing in hand. You think, ah, now I'll get it. I get the job, I get the life and everything. And I'll, you know what the feeling is for almost everybody who finishes that? It is like a post-mortem. You just say, this is, I got it, and this is it. This is what life is all about. Now what? It's that emptiness that is unfillable. I think we here in Southern California can understand this burning bush better than anybody. Because here in Southern California, the center of the, um, uh, of the entertainment world, there's so many of us who come to this area because we try to make it in music or, or, or in, in the media. And, and the few who actually really make it, have you ever seen what happens in their lives? Often there's just a greater emptiness than ever before. The most miserable people, because they thought this is what life is all about, they found it and they found themselves still empty. Maybe you've been there. Again, it's a hard moment, but it's a great opportunity. Those are the moments where you've got to see that God is there saying, I know you, but you've got to turn aside and listen. Have you ever had any burning bush moments like these? Are, are you going through any of them right now? Is God speaking to any of you here today, saying there's something in your life that you want to change and that I know you need to? There's something more for your life than you've experienced. And church people, we need to hear this message. It feels like more of a, a first-time meet God message, and it is that. But I'll tell you, for us, I just want to tell you, no matter how many times you have been to church, there is more about God to be experienced than you've experienced before. And I have found in my own life, when I've come to these disruptive moments, these burning bush moments, they are the times that when I really turn back and say, God, here I am, I've just got to listen to you, I've just got to depend upon you, they are the greatest deepening moments of my life. Have you ever experienced that? Think about that. Those of you who have walked with him for a long time as I have, it is those hard moments that we know that God is there and we just don't get off with our, our blinders on just going our own ways. So I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, don't waste your burning bush moments. If God is doing something disruptive in your life today, it may be your greatest opportunity to meet him or to go deeper in your walk with him than you ever have before. Now, I, I know our time is about gone, but I've just got to quickly point out a couple of other things. When you meet him, when you meet him, second, I, I read this, you must be ready to say yes. God turns to Moses, Moses, come. Oh, Moses, don't come too close. Take off your sandals. This is holy, you're not. It's really kind of a strange contradiction here. Moses, 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 Moses. That's a, in the Hebrew, 
uh, when the name was doubled like that, it was intensifying the thing. It's like my West Virginia mom, when she'd say, Gregory Lee, when my, that middle name was there, she would <laughs> shake, you know, any, any of you have a mom like that? You haven't been paying a bit of attention to me, you're going to pay attention to me now. Moses, Moses, I'm ready for a relationship to you, but then don't come too close. It's very similar to the thing God asked him to do. Take off your sandals, Moses. In his world, when you took off your sandals, only two reasons a person would ask you to do that. Number one, they want to invite you to come into their tent or into their house and, you know, just do some time together, do, have, have some fellowship together, a friendship will be established. Or number two, it's when somebody who's defeated you <laughs> tells you to take off your sandals because in the desert, if you didn't have sandals, you can't run away very far. <laughs> so which one is it? When he says take off your sandals, I put it up here, the perplexing question. What is God like? Is he a loving God who is ready to enter into a close relationship with people like us? Think about it. Is he like that? Are you out there? Yeah. <laughs> or, oh, you're listening, okay. Or, is he a holy God who says we are unholy people who have to surrender to him? Yeah, see there, you've been to church before. He, he really is, he is both, he is both loving and he is holy. But whichever he is, we have to be ready to say yes. And especially because he is going to say, who am I? I am who I am. And uh, here in Southern California, where we just love to be spiritual, I don't meet very many atheists in Southern California. Not as many as I did back in Chicago or when I lived in Germany either. I meet mostly spiritual people, but mostly we want a sort of a deity out there that we can sort of make to be the way we want that deity to be. You know, kind of, remember Play-Doh? You can kind of shape that thing <laughs> and make it what you want it to be. I just got to tell you today, God is not a Play-Doh God. When he broke into Moses' life, he was fire. Uh, we don't shape God. We have to be shaped by him. Sometimes we want to have a God that we can get him to do whatever we want him to do. But God says, no, I've made you. I know the way you're supposed to really live. And all of that is to say that whenever you have these burning bush moments and you turn aside to enter into his presence, be ready to say yes to him. Be ready to say yes to him. And I just also have to tell you that when you do, you'll find that he's good. Yes. He's ready to forgive you. He's ready to start again with you. He's ready to make tomorrow different. And that brings me to the very last thing I've got to say, and it's going to get us into the rest of our summer. Right now, the way you meet God is that you meet Jesus. So striking, John chapter 8, where... Uh, Jesus was talking with a group of people that if you look in verse 31 of John 8, um, they believed in Jesus. But, but, but they just believed something about him. They didn't really believe in him. Not the way that Moses did. They didn't really know who he was. They weren't ready to surrender and follow him wherever he called him, the way that Moses did with, with God. They just sort of believed. And he turns to them and he, said, he says, no, 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 I, before Abraham was, I am emphatically using the same thing as Exodus chapter 3 because what they wanted was that sort of Plato God who would do for them what they wanted him to do to rescue them from slavery. They remembered back 
to the way Moses was and how he was used to deliver them from slavery, from Egypt. Now they were under the yoke of another government of Rome, and they were hoping that Jesus would be a Moses-like character who would come and lead them into great victory through the Red Sea, that sort of thing. And do you see what Jesus says? I am. I'm not a Moses-like character. I'm the one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. I am the one who has a plan. I'm the one who comes into your life. I really am. I am who I am. And throughout the summer, we're going to think about that phrase where Jesus himself would say, if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. I am. And then he fills it in. As he, as he fills it in, he speaks to the biggest issues and the biggest questions that you and I have as human beings. We're going to address them week by week by week. Like what? Like what, what does Jesus say? He turns to you and he says, are you hungering for something? And he says, I am the bread of life. He comes to you and he says, are you ever looking for a place where you really feel like you fit, where, where you belong? He says, I am the door. He says, is there ever a time in your life when you need hope? You just kind of feel like you're in the darkness, you know? He says, I am the light of the world. He says, are you searching for guidance today? Are you wondering what the next step should be in this confusing world? He says, I am the good shepherd. He says to you, has death somehow come into your life? Have you lost a loved one? Have you gotten a message from your doctor that things are not the way you had hoped that they would be? Is death the end of things? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He asks, are you lost? I am the way. Do you have unanswered questions? I am the truth. Are you really living? I am the life. And maybe he asks you today, will you, do you think you're ever going to really change? Maybe there are things in your life that you want, you've been trying to change, you just can't change them. And he says, I am the true vine. The power of God comes through me into your being, and your life will no longer be the same. I think that's a good place to stop. What do you think? <laughs> I want to stop for just a moment here because today to have a text like this and not to have a moment for us to stop, uh, to turn aside, sewer. And in this place, say, Father, is there something you want to say to me? I'm ready to say yes. Uh, John, who wrote this gospel, he, he is one who um, had had that time. You know, he, he'd grown up as a Jewish man believing in Jehovah God. He had been with Jesus in those early years, but if you read through the story, he was so dense as to really knowing who Jesus was. And then finally he met him. He really met him. And it transformed his life. And then eventually when he wrote this gospel, he, he, he wanted to tell us that this is really true. And at the end, just with this tremendous what did I say, joy and enthusiasm. He opens his gospel. I'll put a few of the verses up here for you to reflect upon. He said, the word, 
drawing upon Genesis 1, everything was created by the Word. The Word, Jesus, the one through whom the world was made, became flesh and lived among us. We have seen him. That's what John says. We've seen him. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Oh, I know, he says, no one has seen God the Father at any time except God the Son who is himself God. And he makes him known. John had met him, and at the end of his book, he wrote this. And I've written these things to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that through believing, you might find life in his name. I've preached this sermon to you today for the very same reason. Uh, churchgoers, whatever you've experienced with God, there's more to be known. Don't get into a rut. Pray today that God might break in and take you deeper, do more than he's ever done in you and through you. But those who don't know him, I pray you'll meet him today. So here's what I'd like you to do. If you take out your, we have these kneelers in the, on the main floor. Some of you can't, I know, but you can pray where you are. And up in the balcony, I know you don't have them there, but I've heard people can pray in the balcony as well. Um, I'm going to be having our musicians come. I think Grace is going to come. I want to have just a moment of silence where you turn aside and ask God if there's something he wants to say to you. There might be a sin in your life that you know he wants you to turn away from. There might be a dryness or complacency toward God in your life that he really wants you to turn again to him, surrendering everything you are to him. Maybe he simply wants you to know that he is there, that he knows you, that he loves you, but he wants you to say, I'll take off my sandals. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go. For you are the great I am, and I am yours. Take a moment to pray. Let God speak to you.